Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm so glad that you've decided to join us today. Of course, it has been a very hot week, but what do we expect here in the South? It is summertime. As a matter of fact, it is the last day of this month, the month of July. And of course, you know, here on New Southern Garden, the last day of the month, the last Saturday of the month at least, we go to our mailbag and we pull out your questions and give you my answers. So we're very, very grateful for all those who have sent in some questions to uh, help us help you garden better. Because, of course, here at New Southern Garden, we believe in doing new things, planting new plants, trying new things in the landscape. But also, we want to make sure that you are successful. So, that's what we dedicate today's show to, answering your questions. But, gosh, I just want to go back to that uh, temperature. It has been very hot. I tell you, it's like my sweat droplets have sweat droplets. It's crazy. Of course, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flower Branch, where I spend my week, and you can find me. I didn't mention this last week, but I should. We, we had an irrigation catastrophe, a malfunction. We found the source of the problem, finally, but a week and a half later, here we are. And the good Lord decided to send us some rain this week, so it was okay. We got by. We also had to tap into our city water resources and water some plants that way. Because remember, at the nursery, we're growing plants in containers. And plants that are in containers, they, they require water pretty much every day. So be on the lookout in your own landscape with those container plants, especially as their root systems grow, develop, and begin to fill the pot, fill the soil. There's a lot of roots there. And a couple of hot days, dry days, without rain, those containers may be smoked up. So we were a bit nervous with our irrigation catastrophe, but all is resolved now, or it seems to be, and it's made my life a little easier and definitely less stressful, because there's a lot of plants out there at the nursery, and uh, <laughs> we don't want to lose them. We don't want to lose them, and you know, winter is actually not as a big of a problem as summer is here in the south for nurseries. In the winter, there's usually plenty of moisture. We have, you know, quite a bit of rain. It's sort of our rainy season, if you will, the winter time, but then summer, of course, is the dry and hot time. Now, we haven't been so dry. We've been having plenty of rain. That was our saving grace, if you will. But in your own landscape, you need to make sure that uh, things are well watered. As, as a matter of fact, I would say this year, we are seeing more issues with things staying too wet rather than too dry. And of course, wet soil can be just as disastrous as dry soil. 
It's just how you look at it. The plant is either surrounded, uh, the, the plant's roots rather, are surrounded by air instead of water when it's dry. And that's detrimental for prolonged periods of time. And then, of course, in wet weather, the plant's roots are surrounded by water. They're saturated, if you will, uh, for a period of time, which can be detrimental because roots need about an equal balance of moisture and air. And if one supersedes the other, then you'll start to see your plants wilt. Now, of course, when wilting happens, usually, what do we think is going on? Well, when plants wilt, we usually think that they're staying too dry and we need to water them. But if you have a situation where your plant's roots are staying too wet and they wilt and you misdiagnose the problem and you supply it with more water, then you're just adding to the major issue there which, of course, is wet roots and wet soil. Wet soil, like I said, can be just as bad as dry soil. So we've got to make sure it's an equal balance. And one little tip, if, if of course, you, um, if, if we don't get enough rain and you decide you need to water some trees or shrubs or perennials, it's a good idea to use this as a rule. It's not necessarily carved in stone, but it's a helpful tool, is that applying two gallons of water per foot of plant height. So, if you have a five-foot shrub, you would add 10 gallons of water, two feet for every foot of plant height. Now, of course, when it comes down to trees, that can be quite a lot of water, <laughs> but most trees have a well, um, uh, well-grown root system that can handle grabbing in the moisture that is present but may be limited. Uh, it's, not all, it's not a bad idea if we go through a dry spell to check your trees they're starting to drop leaves from the inside out. That's usually a problem. But then, of course, something like a 10-foot shrub. We're talking about bigger plants here just to see how much, show you how much water we actually could use on plants. A 10-foot shrub would need 20 gallons of water. So, of course, that is a lot of water, but that's only, what, four five-gallon buckets. So you fill up your five-gallon bucket four times and distribute it evenly and slowly around the root system because throwing heavy amounts of water at one time, it just washes off the soil. We want to make sure that the water percolates into the soil and then down into what we call the soil profile, which is a series of segments below the earth uh, that have distinct characteristics. But the plant's roots really only go about eight maybe 18 inches on larger trees below the earth. So if we can at least saturate the root systems of the plants about 8 to 18 inches below the earth, then we're saving the plant. That is the big goal. But you know, folks, I don't know if it's going to be such a problem. Here we are, the end of July. We've had essentially a wet summer. Uh, well, in most areas that I'm aware of, our general area here in northeast Georgia, maybe where you're listening online, you may uh, be in some other part that is pretty dry, maybe out west even. But of course, here in the south this year, we've had plenty of rain. But what happens next month? What happens next month? Will this trend continue? Will we be able to uh, capture and acquire the water that Mother Nature sends through her uh, clouds up above the earth? Maybe. But there's a chance, as there always is in the south that we might have some dry weather. Now, if you have an irrigation system, of course, irrigation systems are helpful. And in the South, at least, I call irrigation insurance. That's right. Sometimes you need the irrigation and sometimes you don't, like this year particularly. But if you come across a year where it is a drought and extremely dry, then you have your insurance. You can flip a switch and turn on water and send that precious life-giving fluid 
to your beautiful plants. So, you know, when people ask, do I need an irrigation system? I say, you don't really need one for trees and shrubs and perennials, things like that. Once they're established, uh, um, after three years of planting a new plant, it usually is well established and doesn't need much extra from you as far as water goes. But dot, 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 right? There is that chance. There is that chance that we go through a year in which it is extremely dry. And even well-established plants may show signs of drought stress and, of course, drying out. So you can go to the expense of, of putting in an irrigation system, but it may be worth it, especially if you are planting large numbers of plants that need to be protected and, again, insured that they receive plenty of moisture. But as far as rainfall is concerned, for 2022, we have been in really, sorry, 2021. Uh, this year's only halfway over and I'm jumping into the next. For 2021, rainfall has been really nice and maybe a little too nice in some areas, but no problem. We're going to have to take what the good Lord gives us and we can't complain. We can't complain. I know if it was a dry year, we'd complain. We need water. We need water. We need rain. We need rain. But of course, when a year happens that we have plenty of water, it's hard to complain. It really is hard to complain. Well, so of course, today on New Southern Garden, this is, this is our Q&A week. And I'll just remind you that if you ever have a question as you're digging in new plants or looking at buds on your plants, looking at the flowers, looking through the leaves, looking through the foliage, you see something that may be amiss, something that may be wrong. Maybe a plant is wilting and you can't quite determine why. Well, you can always ask us the question because we like to uh, answer them at the end of every month. And so it just so happens that today's not just the end of the month, it's the last day of the month. So perfect timing from the calendar's perspective. Uh, but you can send questions to NewSouthernGarden.com. There's an easy form. You just type it in, put your name, at least tell us what zone you're in, uh, USDA hardiness zone you're in. Of course, here uh, in Northeast Georgia, generally zone seven, whether it's A or B. But uh, tell us where you're growing, tell us what you're doing. And if you need to send a picture, uh, and a lot of folks have made a comment, you can't really send them through the website, but pictures do help. They really do. And so you can always send us questions uh, via Facebook and Instagram. Just go to New Southern Garden, the New Southern Garden Facebook page and New Southern Garden Instagram page, and you can uh, respond or we will respond to you there and, of course, get you on to next month, which would be the end of August. So you better hurry because it will be, be here before we know it. Golly, this year it's already over halfway over, I guess, technically. And, boy, I just can't believe it. But with that in mind, I do want to um, sort of give an update about a question we had last month. Now, last month, of course, Shane uh, was growing Pieris or Pierisai. Pieris's? Pierisai? Anyhow, this is Japanese Pieris, which is also called Japanese Andromeda, but I sort of prefer Pieris. Now, this Pieris, of course, is an evergreen plant. Uh, he had planted, I believe, three of them, if my memory recalls me, and two of them had been blooming, but one of them, a certain variety, had not been blooming yet. And we gave him some ideas about when to prune and, and how to fertilize and things like that, etc. Uh, but he did give me an update, and he said, oh, just a few weeks after that show, after last uh, month's Q&A, he said that that Pieris that was not blooming is now starting to set little buds. Now, he does mention that the Pieris that was questionable 
uh, was starting to set tiny buds compared to the other PRS uh, plants he has, which have larger fattened buds. But I do believe, Shane, that that is some good news. That is some really good news because the fact that it didn't bloom last year, didn't set buds, that particular plant, just to remind everybody, that Pieris sets its buds, flowering buds, over the summer and holds on to them until late winter and then opens, okay? So that's why pruning is essential with plants that bloom late in the winter is that you want to be sure you are not the culprit of trimming buds. But we know that wasn't the case for Shane. Uh, I think the plant was just uh, a little moody, maybe. It wasn't quite ready to do its thing. But now it sounds like it's ready to do its blooming thing. And I think, Shane, over the next few weeks, because you've got plenty of growing season left before the plants go dormant, but uh, you've got plenty of time for those the, that Pieris to fatten those buds. They will probably catch up with your other plants. I would just keep them healthy, healthy, keep them well fed because it does take a lot of energy for plants to bloom and flower, uh, particularly uh, pl- these plants that are going to be uh, setting their buds for the previous year because they have to hold on to a lot of nutrition in those buds over summer fall and then into winter and then late winter when they finally open them up and so just making sure that it has plenty of phosphorus and potassium not necessarily not necessarily so much nitrogen because nitrogen is going to grow more foliage but it sounds like your plant was happy healthy and beautiful and so just making sure that has plenty of phosphorus and potassium would be an ideal situation and micronutrients and the last thing which i've sort of been talking about for a few weeks now is cytokinin. I don't think you need it now anymore, but cytokinin is a plant hormone that tells the plant to produce flowering buds. And you've already got those buds started, so I don't think it's necessary, Uh, but you might be able to get a few more buds by applying a little extra cytokinin. It is a plant hormone naturally occurring within plants, but if you concentrate it more heavily in a particular plant, then any extra cytokinin will tell the plant to do more blooming. And so we did talk about using that on perennials and things that may be sort of summer tired, just as a way to stimulate them to produce more buds. But regardless, I think that your uh, Pieris, Shane, is going to be happy, healthy, and blooming by the end of this coming winter. Just keep it protected. And if you don't have a Japanese Pieris, well, they're great plants, great evergreens, and of course they bloom in the late winter when nothing else does. So you may research Pieris and try to add one to your landscape. Well, gang, when we get back from this quick break, it's all about your gardens and your questions. So hang on tight. We'll see you on the other side. Hey, gang, it's Nathan. Thanks so much for listening to the New Southern Garden Podcast. Of course, I love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well. But sometimes you need more than just information. You need plants. So I'd love for you to join me at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. But you can find more than just me, of course. (laughs) At Lanier Nursery and Gardens, you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees, glorious shrubs, and colorful perennials and annuals. And I want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to Lanier Nursery. It's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories. We've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now let's get growing together.
All right, gang. Well, today on New Southern Garden, it's all about you. It's all about your garden and your questions. Because, of course, on the New Southern Garden, we try to answer your questions at the end of the month. And here we are, the end of July. We're answering your questions, opening our mailbags, and hopefully helping you be more successful in your landscape and gardening endeavors. We've got a really big show for you. We've got questions about roses, which is very timely. We've got questions about hydrangeas, which, again, is very timely for one particular reason. You'll find out later. And, of course, we've got some vegetable questions. Vegetable questions is quite timely because I hope your vegetable gardens are faring well. I know some people uh, who shop at the, at the nursery, of course, Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flyer Branch, where you can find me throughout the week. They said, oh, my tomatoes are getting so tired. They just really aren't doing much now, and it has been hot. And, of course, tomatoes in particular, if it gets into the 90s, maybe even 85, they tend to slow down. Uh, but you've got time to do some other things. Maybe we can chat about that when we get to our uh, to vegetable question. But so for now, let's go to Flowery Branch, which, of course, is not too far from the plant nursery where I spend my weeks. Uh, Lloyd in Flowery Branch asked the question, My at-last roses bloomed beautifully earlier this year, but now they are almost leafless. Buds are brown, and they are sad-looking. Are they dying? Are they dying? Well, not necessarily, Lloyd. Let's start there. Let's answer it in short. I don't believe your at-last roses are dying. Let's first talk about at-last uh, at last rose is sort of a, a new rose to the market. I believe the company called Proven Winners, who has a white pot with a big PW on their white pots, I believe they're the ones who released At Last Rose. Now, I think the reason they called it At Last is because it is a rose. At least this is why I like to think. <laughs> it is a rose that has disease resistance like knockout roses. Remember, when knockout roses came out, they were all the rage. They're still being produced and used in landscapes, but that was nearly probably 20-something years ago. And, you know, fads change, right? The things change. Style changes. And so these roses, the at-last rose, has disease resistance because in the South we have high heat and high humidity and moisture. And so those three things combined tend to um, cause roses, particularly old-fashioned roses uh, and many of the English-style roses. It causes disease on the roses, black spots, all kinds of fungal diseases, etc., etc. And so in the South, it's ideal for us to find roses and use roses that have disease resistance. So this particular rose called At Last has that disease resistance. It looks really good without extra spraying. No real need to do heavy spraying on these roses. But the second reason I think it's called At Last is At Last there is a disease-resistant rose that has fragrance. It's a beautiful sort of coral orange, uh, sort of fades to a lighter, uh, not quite yellow, but it does have a great fragrance. It's sort of like the hybrid teas of old, you know, the hybrid tea roses, very fragrant roses. And so this one has a great fragrance, a good look. Uh, the roses themselves, the flowers, I should say, aren't quite as large as some old-fashioned roses or quite as dense with petals. But the overall look of this particular rose 
is very nice. And of course, that added disease resistance is wonderful. So Lloyd, I I don't think your roses are dying. I think that what is happening with your roses is that you mentioned they bloom beautifully this year. They look great. And spring encourages really good, fine, strong growth, uh, very healthy growth usually. But then after a plant like a rose that produces copious amounts of flowers, well, they use a lot of nutrition out of their stems and out of their roots. And so they start to suck out (laughs) nutrition from the leaves and send it to other places. It may go into the buds. It may go back into the roots or into the stem, but those leaves die off. I I want everybody to realize while we're on this note that leaves, they come and go. Okay, leaves come and go because leaves are the part of the plant that actually produce food for the rest of the plant. And so they can be used as a reserve. And if those reserves are depleted by something heavy like blooming, which takes a lot of reserves, a lot of energy, then the roses, the rose leaves will fall off. And so I think, Lloyd, that your roses in particular, they are just tired per se. We did talk about summer tired plants last week and gave some few tips. Uh, But with roses, it's pretty easy to recover a tired rose bush, especially in the summer. One thing that really helps us uh, rejuvenate roses in the summer after they've bloomed very heavily is that they, they bloom on new wood. So we can remove any of the old wood that's there and new wood will be grown over the next four or six weeks, maybe less if it's really, really ready to grow. And the new growth will fill out, flush out with brand new leaves. And then the buds will start to set and blossom. Once again, roses are wonderful. Of course, we know if you've dealt with any rose for any amount of time, whether it was watching your grandmother in the garden or your own roses in your own garden, is that roses benefit from deadheading. And so taking off all those brown buds uh, is essential. Getting rid of, they're not coming back. The the plant will actually try to produce seed, whether it can or not. It will try to, and it takes a lot of energy to do that process. So removing spent flowers on your at-last rose, Lloyd, is going to be essential. And you may even cut down into the plant maybe a third cut off about the top third of the plant. Now that will do a couple of things that will clean up the old, getting ready for new, and then stimulate the plant by pruning the tips, will stimulate the plant to produce new foliage. And of course, that new foliage will eventually produce new flowers. Now, not every rose blooms on new wood. I should clarify that. Not every rose will continuously bloom through the summer with proper deadheading. Some roses They are indeterminate. They may only bloom and set a certain number of roses in the spring or early summer. And when those flowers have faded, that's it for the year. You've got to be sure that the rose you're pruning blooms on new wood. Because if you remove any wood from last year on old blooming or old wood bloomers, then you'll be removing the blossoms, kind of like with the Pieris we talked about at the beginning of the show. So regardless, Lloyd, go ahead and trim your plant by about a third. And also at the same time, the same day, as soon as you put your pruning shears down on the pavement or concrete or wherever, go ahead and fertilize that plant. And do give it a well-balanced fertilizer with plenty of nitrogen, Plenty of, plenty of phosphorus, and plenty 
of potassium because all three of those are going to be critical. They're going to be critical in trying to encourage the plant to set new leaves, new foliage. That'll be the nitrogen. The nitrogen will help to produce new stems and leaves. And then the phosphorus and potassium will help with the roots and blooming. And so something like a 10-10-10 is fine, but it's not really a slow release. So, of course, uh, you can find what we use at the nursery, at Lanier Nursery and Gardens. You can find that available at the nursery. Uh, it's a 12-6-8, and it's produced by a company called Flora Can. Flora Can is, uh, well, the product we use is sort of a uh, commercial, you know, for greenhouses in particular and nurseries. Uh, but we break it down into smaller sizes. If you don't need 50 pounds, we buy it in bulk, but you can buy it in smaller packages. And just apply a nice handful, maybe three tablespoons, up to a quarter of a cup for larger shrubs around the base of the plant. And that will stimulate the plant to produce new foliage, new stems, and new uh, flower buds. I know that it can be quite a stressful situation when you're looking at a beautiful plant. It was once beautiful in the in the spring, at least, but now that it's bloomed, it's starting to look a little sad. It can be very stressful to see that happen. But remember, these plants—they're living organisms, and they have very unique ways to combat stress uh, and, particularly, that loss of nutrition, loss of energy that it took to produce blossoms. So naturally, they're going to have their own way to recover, but you can intervene and speed that process up and encourage those plants to look really good in just a few weeks. So don't, uh, Lloyd, don't get discouraged. Things are going to be nice. At Last Rose is a pretty rose. It's relatively new to the market, so we'll see how it responds here shortly. Uh, let us know. Let us know how it goes. All right, gang, we've got more of your questions on the other side of this break. When we get back, we're going to talk about, what are we talking about? Hydrangeas. Hang on tight. See you shortly. Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. All right, gang, it is New Southern Garden, the second half of the program today, and we've got still a big second half of the program to go because I absolutely love the last Saturday of the month. I mean, I love all the Saturdays that we join each other here in the New Southern Garden, but on the last Saturday of the month, of course, if you've been around for any amount of time, you know that we're answering your questions. And like I said earlier today, it's very important for us to help you be successful in your landscape. You know, we like to give you ideas and tips to try new things, uh, to give you good researched information on what works, what doesn't work. Marketing schemes are out there in the horticultural world, and you don't want to fall for those schemes. Uh, so we try to help you with that. But also, we want to help you with your specific problems, your specific issues that you may have. Because the beauty of gardening, okay, get this, the beauty of gardening landscaping however you want to describe it is that there really are no two gardens that are the same i think that gardens are really an expression of what 
a particular individual, the gardener, enjoys, likes, what's might be required. Uh, if you have, say, a patio where you entertain frequently, that's pretty unique. Or maybe you just have a cool, relaxing, small front porch that you're growing things on, very personal and intimate. And so I think that that's kind of the beauty of gardening. There, there's a lot of science in horticulture. There's a lot of science. You know, we talk about uh, the way plants grow and the nutrition, the chemistry that's uh, there with, with growing plants. But we also have to think about horticulture and gardening as an art. And it's pretty unique in that if you're creating a piece of artwork, whether you think your front shrub border or shrub bed is a piece of art or not you are you're 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 using color right you're using the shape of things some plants are round some plants are like pyramids some plants are tall and skinny narrow like pencils and some plants have really big leaves they have different textures some plants have really small leaves really small textures and so by using all these things and the way that you put all these things together you're creating your own unique work of art it's that work of art that weeds start to grow in, and it does take hard work and maintenance. Uh, but the beauty of all of this, the beauty of horticulture is that every situation is different. And so Q&A week, I think, is essential for us to have uh, for all of our wonderful listeners because your place may be very different than someone else's, and you may need a little more assistance in one thing or another. And somebody like Katie, who is actually listening via the podcast uh, in Norcross, Georgia, course that's a little uh, out of the uh, realm of the radio sphere but she's able to listen to new southern garden at newsoutherngarden.com and also on all of your favorite podcasting apps she has a question about hydrangeas she says i think that you've mentioned on another show that hydrangeas should be pruned in the summer is it time to prune them please give us a reminder okay katie you're right on some previous shows we have talked a lot about hydrangeas particularly because I like them. They grow well in the South, and they're iconic to the South. They're classic for the South. As a matter of fact, probably the most recent edition of Southern Living Magazine probably had a hydrangea of some kind on the front cover. They always do every summer for several, uh, several magazines, one after the other, because it's very timely for this time of year. And, Katie, your question really couldn't come at a better time because, yes, it's time to prune dot, 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 some hydrangeas. That's right. Essentially, you could prune any of them, but some hydrangeas need to be pruned now so that then they will bloom next year. Remember, we started today's show talking about Shane's Pieris plants. And of course, Pieris is is a flower or a shrub, rather, that produces flower buds on the previous year's wood. Well, Katie, uh, with your hydrangeas, some of your hydrangeas are producing flower buds on previous year's wood. Now, we're mainly talking about the big leaf hydrangea. The big leaf hydrangea is really those big, uh, large mop head hydrangeas that are usually blue or pink. Of course, that depends on the soil, what color it is. But there are some white varieties, so be sure, Katie, that the hydrangeas you have are at least the big leaf types. So big leaf hydrangea uh, has really just finished blooming. Now there are some rebloomers out there, like the endless summer uh, varieties. Somewhat penny mac. Penny mac is a beautiful blue or pink hydrangea that does tend to rebloom 
Uh, let's see, the other one, All Summer Beauty, has a tendency to set buds. I saw a few of our All Summer Beauties at the nursery putting on brand new flower buds just last week or earlier this week. Now, you've got to make sure you've got the right hydrangea, right? But as soon as those blue and pink hydrangeas start to fade, it is time to prune them. So now is a appropriate and ideal time to give them a trim. So Katie, you can do a couple of things. You can just trim back the dead flowers down to a node. Uh, a node is sort of the notches along the leaves, uh, along the stems where the leaves emerge. And you can cut right above the closest node if you want to. But if your plant is a bit taller, a bit larger, and you want to get a little bit of height control, then you may cut a good bit more uh, than just the tips. Okay, so once you've done that, you'll notice that the plant will start to regrow. The simple action of cutting the plant back is going to encourage it to break buds and more leaves and stems grow. And as a matter of fact, if you had, if you had one stem that only had one flower on the tip, well, by cutting it back, you're creating that, or it, you're telling that stem to put out more side shoots, and those side shoots are probably all going to have a flower bud. So by doing some of this pruning, Katie, you're not only in uh, encouraging the plant to get bushier and denser with more flowers, but you're also going to be able to control the size because traditionally the the big leaf hydrangeas can get six, maybe seven foot tall, but five to six is usually an, a, a range that we see um, for for most plants. And so sometimes those plants are larger, they are bigger, so we can prune them back now. So I'm stressing to prune now on those blue and pink hydrangeas because if you decide to prune those hydrangeas in March of next year or even spring, uh, say, April of next year, you're not going to have any flower buds in the summer. And I see this time and time again. People come into the nursery with a picture. Uh, as a matter of fact, just uh, maybe within the last two weeks, somebody showed me this picture, sent it to us uh, at the nursery, and said, "This something's wrong with my hydrangea. It's beautiful. It looked like it was quite robust and tall. The leaves were green, no yellow, no spots. Beautiful plant. But she said, it's never bloomed. And I asked the question, well, do you prune it? She says, I don't, but my husband does. <laughs> And I knew where this was going. I said, well, does your husband prune it uh, in the summer or in late winter? Well, we do it in March every year. He cuts it down in the March every year, and it grows back beautifully. I said, well, I hate to say it, but your husband is the culprit. The husband had been trimming back these hydrangeas at the wrong time of year and was removing every single flower bud that the plant had already set on last year's wood. So, Katie, yes. Your question is timely, and we have talked about hydrangeas to some extent because they're beautiful, easy to grow plants, but you do need to prune back your uh, big leaf hydrangeas right now. Now, in addition to that, I would fertilize, and you can really fertilize the same way we talked about with the roses in the last segment because uh, giving it a well-balanced nitrogen Phosphorus and potassium fertilizer with micronutrients, uh, slow release is going to be ideal. The situation here is you're pruning the plant back, you're removing nutrition out of the leaves and uh, by cutting them off and the flower buds, and the plant won't be able to use that nutrition again, so fertilizing them with some supplements is ideal. And that's pretty much it. You just 
prune back, fertilize. You can cut out anything that is dead. I should be mentioning that. Anything that died back over last year or this year, cut it back, get rid of any dead growth. And of course, in just a few weeks, you'll start to see the the, the buds breaking and leaves coming out and your plant will look great. Now, of course, uh, I should say that with the big leaf hydrangeas, they tend to not like our winters sometimes. If we have a really cold winter or very sort of several deep freezes, uh, we may notice that some of those hydrangeas, the, the tips will die back. Usually not all of them, but many of your branches or some may die back. And that is pretty normal. There's not much we can do other than trying to protect them uh, over the winter, planting them in a space that stays actually a bit uh, cooler because the warm side can encourage them to grow, which puts them at risk for more winter damage. Um, But regardless, your plant will be fine. You may lose some blossoms over winter. Mother Nature is kind of naturally pruning, just like that husband did and cut back the flowers. Mother Nature sort of cuts back flowers from time to time. But this year was a great year for hydrangeas. The ones at the nursery were blooming great. My aunt's house were blooming great. The ones at my house were blooming. It was a really good year for hydrangeas. Now, before we, uh, we're getting closer to our break here, but I do want to extend this information about hydrangeas and pruning because there's another hydrangea that benefits from uh, being pruned now, and that is the oak leaf hydrangea. Both the big leaf hydrangea and the oak leaf hydrangea are going to uh, bloom on wood that is produced this year. Next year, they will they will bloom on wood they grew this year. And so treat it the same. Cut back old flowers, deadhead. Uh, you can trim your plant a few inches, maybe uh, up to a foot or so, depending on how small you want your plant to be, uh, if you want to rejuvenate it a bit to get some new growth in there. But the oak leaf hydrangea is, is, is another one that really needs to be pruned right now. There are two other hydrangeas that aren't as concerning as far as pruning goes. They don't necessarily care so much. Now, that's going to be our native smooth hydrangea, the smooth hydrangea, which is found along the banks of the Chattahoochee River and now parts of Lake Lanier. Uh, There's Annabelle hydrangea within that group, large, huge mop head flowers that are usually white, sometimes the... um, The smooth hydrangeas are pink as well, but they generally will bloom on new growth. So if you want to prune it in the spring, you still should have some good flowers, even though they do bloom somewhat on old wood as well. But the last group of hydrangeas are the hydrangeas that are growing wonderfully right now. Sorry, blooming wonderfully right now. That's the cone-shaped white hydrangea. We call it the panicled hydrangea because the shape of the uh, blossom is a cone. And so with all of that being said, you can prune that in spring. No reason to touch it right now. Let it bloom. Let it do its thing. If you deadhead your panicled hydrangeas, which sometimes there's limelight, there's firelight now, there's an old one called Tardiva, several different varieties of panicled hydrangea, but you can treat them all the same. If you trim it back as it's de- uh, deadheaded, as it starts to fade, you may actually get a- another crop of flowers later in the oh, fall, or later in the summer, early fall or so. And so with all that in mind, you may just give that a shot. I think that hydrangeas are wonderful plants, whether you're doing growing the big leaf hydrangea, the oak leaf hydrangea, the smooth hydrangea, the panicled hydrangea. Those are just a few, actually, the most common ones. But 
if you're growing one, you need to start growing them all. I really appreciate Katie reminding me uh, with her question to talk about pruning hydrangeas because for too long I've seen people cut back hydrangeas at the wrong time of year. It can be a little confusing, but once you do the research and figure out what kind of hydrangea you have, it becomes easier, and then you can put it on your calendar. As a matter of fact, and with smartphones these days, you can set that reminder on your calendar every summer, every year, as long as you have that phone. And so it might be beneficial to schedule your gardening year. Pruning hydrangeas happens right now as far as the big leaf goes and oak leaves. So get out there and do some pruning. When we get back from this break, gang, we've got to talk about your vegetable garden. Hang on tight. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the New Southern Garden family and let's grow well. Well, gang, if you're just joining us, I want to welcome you to uh, our Q&A week here on New Southern Garden. Of course, the end of the month. The end of the month is when we go to the mailbag and answer your questions so that we can help you be a little more successful and help you solve your plant and gardening problems. Summertime is one of those times where problems ab- are abundant. We have an abundant amount, abundant amount, abundant number of plant problems, whether it's diseases or insects or drought, which this year we don't have to worry about the drought. Thank goodness that's one less thing to worry about. But, you know, this is that time of year when not just our plants are thriving and growing, but also the things that hurt them and damage them are growing. And uh, in today, in this last segment today, we are going to be right here in Cleveland. James lives in Cleveland, and he's got a vegetable question. He says, I have a large and flat insect on my squash plants. Uh, they kind of look like a stink bug. Do you know what this is and how I can get rid of it? Well, James, I appreciate your question. I'll say that I'm, you know, not an entomologist, but horticulturalists, of course, entomologists are people who study insects. But of course, horticulturalists have to know a little bit about insects. And the key indicator here was that it looks like this this bug on your squash plant is it looks like a stink bug. And the fact that it's on your squash plant leads me to believe that probably what you're seeing is what we call the squash bug. The squash bug is a common pest of squash, pumpkins, maybe even cucumbers. Now, of course, young seedlings and young plants... Uh, that are flowering are most vulnerable to the squash bug. If your plants are older, I don't know when you planted your squ- your squash, may not be such a big problem. But what they do is they cause these bugs cause young plants to wilt and die. Now they can be managed. Squash bug needs to be managed through a combination uh, of well non chemical steps, but also the use of pesticides. 
usually, just to describe this bug a little bit more, they are large, they are sort of flattened, uh, they're sort of gray to dark brown, and their abdomens, look at, check it out, check out the abdomen, the, the belly part of the bug. They usually have an alternating orange and brown stripe. Now, the other thing you want to look for, James, is oval-shaped eggs. Oval-shaped eggs that are about one-sixteenth of an inch long, and they're usually yellowish to a bronze color. What's going to happen are the nymphs are going to hatch out of the eggs, and they can be about one-tenth to one-half inch long as they progress through their stages of life cycle. So you may find adults, eggs, and nymphs or young ones uh, all throughout your plants. Now, if you're looking for the eggs, be sure that you look underneath the leaves because the most of the time, the eggs will be underneath the leaves or along the stem, uh, protected from the sun and whatnot, and other creatures that may want to uh, attack them. So look for those eggs. There, When the uh, adult lays the eggs, she sort of lines them up. Sometimes they're in a nice V pattern, and sometimes they're right in sort of the crotch of two uh, veins in the underside of the leaf. Now, those little creepy, crawly, newly emerged nymphs look like a bunch of legs, just a tiny black spot with a bunch of legs. Then as they grow, they sort of have a white or tran I shouldn't say, yeah, translucent body, uh, sort of looking like an aphid, usually black legs with very gray or translucent bodies, almost white. And then, of course, they mature into what you're describing. What these suckers do is just that. They suck the sap out of the leaves with their piercing mouth parts. And of course, that may cause yellow spots that eventually turn brown. Now, their feeding also affects the flow of water and nutrition. Uh, of course, that the plant is so virely, so, so, so virely, I don't know what I'm saying, so, so importantly needs. Uh, when it's severe, you may even see, if you have a heavy infestation, you may actually see your plants wilt a bit. Now, the good thing is, unlike some other insects, they usually do not carry diseases. So, it's really just what they're doing that causes problems. Usually, larger, sturdier plants are going to be more tolerant of that feeding damage, and especially, well, the young plants, they may die back or die completely because of the feeding off of these bugs. So if your plants are large and sturdy, you may be fine, but we do want to control them because you've really got to detect these puppies <laughs> when they're young. The nymph stage, of course, is that sort of like childhood stage. They're not adults, but they've just ha hatched out of the egg. And it's important to uh, get those because sometimes the squash bugs, the adults, are harder to kill. You can remove the eggs, you can remove the nymphs and the adults by hand and kill them into a pail of soapy water. But that only works if your infestation is kind of light. If you have heavy infestation, you may want to use something like permethrin, uh, which is a chemical, uh, but it's also used uh, to protect dogs and horses and animals from ticks and fleas. And so we do dust dogs and dust horses with permethrin. And so you can safely use permethrin on your plants. It, it will eventually wash away. Uh, but there's also a biological way to kill them, and that is to use spinosad. 
that we've talked about spinosad, but it's been a while. Spinosad is usually applied as a spray, uh, just like the permethrin can be. And spinosad is actually a bacteria that is going to be consumed by your uh, little squash insects there, squash bugs. And it's going to give them a bellyache, an infection inside their body that will kill them. So it's biological warfare, that's for sure. Now, that is some things you can do. You can either hand remove them or you can use some chemistries. But I do want to make it clear that something else you need to do is really keep the growing area fairly clean of any squash debris because these suckers are really good at hiding in old dried leaves okay as a matter of fact they are so good at it that if you leave your squash plant on the ground all winter long James they may live under those leaves and be waiting till spring because unlike many other insects these adults can make it through our cold winters And so they can hide out right where you usually plant your squash and be ready to start eating in next spring and devouring your young squash plants next year. So it's essential. While your squash plant is growing, if it's still uh, viable, still producing, uh, any dried leaves that the plant has produced, pull them away, take them off the plant, take them off the ground. You can compost those, but only if there's no signs of squash bugs because we don't want to encourage the squash bug to continue. So the key here is to remove any uh, large adults and any nymphs and any insects, uh, sorry, any babies, any eggs, dropping them in a soapy pail of water. The eggs, I would just squish. I would just squish uh, and then throw those leaves away. But then you can use chemistries. You can use uh, biological things like we talked about the spinosad. Those are sprays that are going to kill the adults and hopefully those, uh, those nymphs as well. And then, of course, keeping the area clean. Keeping the area clean of any squash leaf debris is going to be essential because you do not want those squash bugs to be back next year. But they are in our area, so there's a chance they will be hanging and lurking over the winter, waiting for you to plant your next garden. <laughs> Don't let them get ahead of you. Well, gang, we appreciate your questions this week on Q&A, and hopefully you'll send us some more at NewSouthernGarden.com. We'll be back with some Q&A in four weeks, but in the meantime, more New Southern Garden in the next three weeks. <laughs> so it's going to be a great August. I hope you have a good August. And, of course, for New Southern Garden, this is Nathan Wilson, hoping you stay well and grow well. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show.